Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast, where we launch faith-filled entrepreneurs into greater freedom and success. But you know what? It's more than that. We want to help you thrive in the midst of today's cancel culture. Our goal is to raise up workplace warriors who will stand for what they believe in, whatever the cost. You can find out more by visiting expertownership.com. But without further ado, here we go. All right, so today we're talking about the traits of a kingdom leader. We're actually going to do... How many of them? We're going to do a three-part series on the traits of a kingdom leader. So th- today is part one. How many are there? What are you talking about? I'm just asking you, how many traits are there of a kingdom leader? Oh, there's... Well, well we're going to pull it out of First Timothy 3, and there's nine of them. Okay, so that's all we had to say, is there are <laughs> nine traits of a kingdom leader. Period. That would have been a better intro. You should have let me. No. That was Jason's intro, by the way. But let me just say this real quick. David and I are on the road. We're in Denver, Colorado. We're going to be doing a, uh, we're actually hosting uh, Life Surge events. Now, speaking of Life Surge, you guys should go to lifesurge.com and you'll get a chance to see where events that we're doing with Tim Tebow and Willie Robertson and Priscilla Shire, Nick Vojcic, Auntie Ann Byler from Auntie Ann's Pretzels. Uh, we're, we're, Kind of like a little bit of a road show. It's and, fun. And we're hitting cities all over. So in 2023, they're going to be populating their um, their site so that you guys can come out and check us out at any live surge that we do next year. And it's cool because they don't live stream. Everything's in person. So you got to come in person. Come be with us. Reach out to us. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be amazing. All right, Jason, let's jump right in. Okay, so here's what I want to do. So we're, we're today is part one of the traits of a kingdom leader. So we're talking to entrepreneurs. We're talking to marketplace people. And what I love about this is that in 1 Timothy 3, we've got Paul, who's an older man, who's instructing Timothy, who's a younger man, on how to properly build up the church. And in the first seven verses of 1 Timothy 3, we get some of the most golden nuggets of leadership that you could ever get anywhere. Like if you want to grow in leadership in any way, you need to pay attention to what Paul tells Timothy. Now, he's talking about building up the church, and and the church is an organization. Now, ultimately, it's an organism, but inside of an organism, there's organization, right? And so because of that, we can apply what Paul has said. We can apply it to the for-profit space. We can apply it to the non-profit space. We can apply it to the type of leaders that you need to build a church and the type of leaders that you need to build a business that you want to use as a ministry, right? Because David and I believe that business is ministry when you have a heart to please and honor the Lord. So if we want to be the leaders that God's called us to be, we need to pay very, very close attention to exactly what Paul tells Timothy. So if you're ready, just buckle up, okay? Because we're going to talk about uh, today, we're going to hit the first four traits. To, uh, the next podcast next week, we're going to hit uh, five more of them. And then podcast number three on traits of a kingdom leader, we're going to talk about five uh, traits, weaknesses. Yeah. Five, there you go. I said traits, five weaknesses of a kingdom leader, not the kind of person that you want to have on your, um, uh, on your staff, not the kind of person that you want to run a, an organization. So here's what I want to do first. I want to read first Timothy three, one through seven, and then we're going to dive in and we're going to grab tons of nuggets of gold. Okay. So here's what Paul says to Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer, so I want to say leader, because he's talking about overseers in the church. He's going to be talking about uh, elders and deacons. So just for the sake of doing this, I'm going to replace that with leader. 
So he who desires to be a leader desires a noble task. So let me just stop right there because that's first one. Like desiring to be in leadership is actually a good thing, but you don't need to lust for it. You can easily turn your desire to lead into a lust to lead, which means you know that it's turned into lust when your focus is no longer on the people that you're leading and what they need, but your focus is on the approval that you can get from people. It's like, I want to be the leader because I ultimately need to feel this sense of approval from these people. So having a desire is a good thing. And Paul says to Timothy, so if somebody's desiring to be in leadership in the church, he's desiring a noble task. So it's good. Verse two, he said, now the leader is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family wells and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? That's good advice. Verse six, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Verse seven, the last one, he must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So right there, we get a chance to see those nine traits packed in there along with five characteristics that are weaknesses that we don't want. So what David and I are going to do over the next three weeks is unpack these 14 things. Nine good, five not so good. So let's look at uh, trait number one of a kingdom leader. You want to be a kingdom leader? Trait number one, you got to be above reproach. You know what this means? This means blameless. This is not having anything in your life that could bring shame to the God that you say you represent. Uh, I tell you one thing is just a great example of this, a guy who did it the right way, um, Vice President Mike Pence. Hmm. Here's a guy who was the second most powerful man in the known world who refused to take a meeting with another woman by himself and did not ever close the door. He would leave the door open and he would always have other people in the room because he wanted to be above reproach. Yeah. And that's what leaders need. You know, it doesn't say here that they're supposed to be perfect. You know, King David, who was a man after God's own heart, he's a picture of blamelessness. In other words, he was not only a big sinner, but he was a big repenter. He said what God said was true and right. And yet we have to see here that a kingdom leader has to be above reproach, has to be blameless. I'm reminded of Psalm 15 that really encouraged Jason and me whenever we um, were starting our business And in Psalm 15, I read verse 2 and 3. I'll never forget these, and I'll read them now. The one whose walk is blameless, the one who does what is righteous. This is the person that God blesses and rewards. It's the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks truth from the heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to his neighbor, and casts no slur on others. In other words, he says, you speak truth in your heart. Blamelessness and above reproach starts in the heart. It starts yeah. with your self-talk. It it starts with all of that, and that is crucial. And it does not mean perfection. If you've sinned, if you've done wrong, which we have, trust me, Jason has plenty of times, we go to the Lord, we make it right with Christ, and then we make it right with others if we've offended them. And so that's the key to being blameless. Yes, as being above any type of behavior that could be construed as uh, um, oh, what's the word that I'm looking? Suspicious. Okay, that's being above reproach. So that's trait number one. Paul tells Timothy, you got to be above reproach. Okay, trait number two, faithful to his wife. Now we can say faithful to your spouse because this is for girls and guys here, specifically in the way that we're applying it. 
uh, faithful to your spouse, the literal translation, the way that Paul did this when he says the the overseer, the deacon in the church needs to be faithful to his wife. The literal translation is a one woman man. Mm. He, he, or I can say he, she, because now we're talking about just specific leadership, this principle of leadership that your spouse it, it, you are so dedicated to your spouse that there's nothing that's competing in your affection for that primary relationship. You understand that marriage is the primary relationship. Like civil, civilized society is built on the back of family. That's right. Family is built on the back of marriage. That's why he's saying that if he's married, he needs to be the kind of person. If she's married, she needs to be the kind of person that their spouse takes priority over the organization. And if they can do that, if they, if they can show that they can prioritize the primary relationship, then they're the type of person that you can lead. You know, one of the cool things about marriage is that just like we talked about being above reproach and you got to, it starts in the heart. It starts in your mind. You cannot have negative self-talk toward your spouse. Like yeah. you, you cannot contempt is the biggest killer of relationship. Yeah. You cannot be contemptuous with your thoughts. And here's what's interesting. And this is a warning to the husbands. I'm speaking specifically to the hubbies here. First <laughs> Peter three, seven says, likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, not weaker in anything other than strength. Because trust me, women are far more capable of than men in almost every area. But he says this, he says, but since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. In other words, hubbies, you had better treat your wives well, and you had better do it from the heart and from the mind. This is a crucial thing that we've seen even in our own marriages. And so the whole uh, issue with contempt um, and, and I guess I'll just stop. This is Jason talking. You know, a lot of you guys follow my wife and I on our podcast, Beauty and Battle. We also have a marriage coaching business, but we talk to a lot of married couples and, um, and what we have seen and what we have found with research is that the number one relationship killer is contempt and contempt in the mind is that negative thinking towards your spouse. And what it, what leads to contempt is unchecked criticism that when you get critical, in your mind towards your spouse when they do something or say something or whatever, or behave in, in a certain way and you get critical towards your spouse, unchecked criticism leads to contempt in your mind. And what contempt does is it brings in an element of comparison. It says, why does he do that? Well, I don't do that. And then you start thinking about the fact that you don't do certain things that your husband does. And now you're better than your husband in your mind. That's contempt. Yeah, I've done it that. It rips relationships apart. But I like how... Timothy, or excuse me, Paul is elevating marriage right to the top of the list. He first says, Hey, if you want the good leaders, find those who are above reproach. They don't behave in ways that would make people question their genuineness. But the second thing is they need to, if they're married, they need to have marriages where they're, you can tell that, that they have prioritized their marriage over everything else. And that will tell you what type of person they are. If, if you're the type of person, who will do everything you can to build a business and consistently put off your spouse and kids, you're not the kind of leader that's going to be a kingdom leader. You're just not. You can be saved. Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being a kingdom leader, someone who's all about God's kingdom. So that's the second. It's faithful in your marriage. But the third trait is temperate. When he says he's temperate, you're even keeled even killed. You're not, you don't get all out of sorts when poop hits the fan. 
like you you keep a cool head. Uh, and I love this analogy, the difference between a cheetah and a gazelle. So a, a cheetah is faster than a gazelle. But the cheetah has a really hard time catching the gazelle because the gazelle is really fast. And the cheetah wants to eat the gazelle, but the z- gazelle takes off running and the cheetah takes off running. And you can see the cheetah catching up with the gazelle. And if the if there's enough space there, the cheetah will always get away. Why? If the cheetah is faster, then how does the gazelle get away from the cheetah? Well, because the gazelle has a chamber in its brain that that allows it it kicks on like a fan that allows the gazelle's brain to cool down while it's running and while its heart rate is at a very high high pace the cheetah doesn't have it so essentially the cheetah takes off sprinting and the gazelle takes off sprinting and the cheetah tires out a lot faster because he gets hot-headed because his brain begins to heat up and then he's got to stop well the gazelle has a chamber that cools off its brain so it can stay longer it can stay under control it's temperate it's even keeled. And I just love that analogy because that's the way that the gazelle stays away from the cheetah. You know, it's interesting because I always tell my kids, be a thermostat, not a thermometer. And as kingdom leaders, this word temperate here, think about temperature. And when we walk into a room, do we reflect the environment or do we actually control the environment? You see, a thermometer will just simply tell you it's hot or it's cold, but the temp, the, the thermostat, on the other hand, it actually controls. So you walk into a hot room, you can cool it down. You yeah. walk into a cold room, you can warm it up. Yeah. That's what we're supposed to do as we lead our families. That's what we're supposed to do as we lead our companies. We need to be temperate. We need to be able to step in and be temperate so that we can control the temperature. It's yeah. really important. And and recognizing that the best way to control temperature is to be a coal, not a candle. So think about the difference between a candle and a coal. A coal is lit, excuse me, a candle is lit from the outside. A coal burns from the inside. If, if the wind comes along and blows on a candle, the light goes out. But if the wind comes along and blows on a coal, it actually ignites the light. So well, how do we, how do we become coals? Well, you've got to stoke the fire that's inside of you. When you gave your heart to Jesus, you received the fire of the Holy Spirit in your life and you've got to spend time with God. Praying, fasting, reading scripture, you've got to do all of these things. And when you do that, you're stoking the fire that's inside of you. I mean, we we know, I don't know the exact scripture that Paul talks about where he tells us that we've got to stoke the fire that's in us. Like we got to fan into flames that little, that little uh, spark that's inside of us. It's our job to do that. Now, when you do that, you can be a thermometer, or excuse me, a thermostat, not just a thermometer. So the, the first three traits of the kingdom leader above reproach trait number two is faithful in your marriage so key trait number three is temperate and trait number four and this is the last one we're going to talk about today is that you're self-controlled there's a scripture in proverbs that says better is he who controls his spirit than he who takes a city which means it's you're you're better to be someone who can control yourself than someone who builds a multi-million dollar business, multi-billion dollar business even. Better better for somebody to be under control. Self-control, which means that you're in charge of your emotions and your appetites. Think about your emotions. Are you in charge of your emotions or are your emotions in charge of you? An emotion is an impulse to act. So we all have impulses to act. But kids give in to all their impulses. Adults don't. 
If an adult gave in to every one of his or her impulses, we would say you're acting like a kid. So emotions are an impulse to act. Yes, sometimes you feel angry, but you've got to bring that anger under the the dominion of your own thought process. You cannot let anger get the better of you. So anger is an, is an emotion. It's an impulse to act. And, and the specific impulse of anger is to see that justice is done. So you've seen people who want to see that justice is done, and then they go out there and beat somebody up, or they go out there and they talk bad about it, or whatever. They, they want to see justice done. But somebody who gets angry and can recognize that that's an emotion that, that demands justice, but recognizes that it's got to operate through the proper channels of justice, that's the type of person that you can follow. So they're self-controlled, but they're in charge of their emotions and their appetites. You know, the the most important thing about self-control, and I've I've found this in my own life, obviously, is Galatians chapter 5, where he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And the last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Here's the deal. But that factors into every area of our lives. We may have self-control over certain areas, but not over our eating yeah. or self-control over our certain area, but not over our health or our discipline with our, uh, our body. Or we may have self-control over certain areas or over our drinking or over our, where our eyes go, or maybe how much uh, entertainment we're taking in or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you just name it. Self-control is key. And I remember as a younger man, I used to be like, I need some more self-control. And I, you know, try to put all these ABC lists in place and all this. But what I found over the years, now that I'm 47, is that as I abide with Jesus and as I walk and ask for more of the Holy Spirit, as I get into the word of God, that begins to grant me self-control. Yeah. And I, I identify those areas where I lack self-control. I get them both to the Lord. I ask the Lord to help me in these areas. So abiding with Christ is a fruit. So now we have the fruit of the Spirit. And as a result of the fruit of the Spirit, as a result of abiding with Jesus, we have another dose of self-control and hopefully self-control in every area of our lives. And it's emotions and appetites. You're able to control the emotions and you're able to control the appetites. And and I just, I always bring up the marshmallow experiment in Stanford University. This was decades ago where they brought in two groups of kids and, and they, they brought in uh, one group and they put marshmallow in front of them and they said, Hey, if you, um, if you delay your gratification, if you can show self-control, I'll bring in a second marshmallow for you, actually a much bigger one. And, and the, and, and they actually put all the kids through that same test, but then they split them into two groups after they discovered that the groups of kid, the group of kids that went ahead and just grabbed the marshmallow immediately because they couldn't control themselves. They followed them for a period of 50 years. Then the other group of kids who actually said no to their appetite for that small marshmallow so they could have a bigger marshmallow in 15 minutes, they followed those kids for 50 years. And then, <laughs> this is crazy, they did this research project, and I think it was 50 years, it might have been 60 years, where they they caught up with those kids who didn't delay their gratification, they didn't have self-control, and they went ahead and grabbed that marshmallow they looked at their lives and then they looked at the lives of those who were self-controlled and delayed their gratification for the bigger marshmallow. And the ones who waited, the ones who were self-controlled were by and large way more successful than those who didn't. Hmm. They had companies, 
They had businesses. They had families that were growing and robust. The other ones, not every one of them was like an abject failure. I'm not saying that, but they, they definitely were not as far ahead. So self control actually not, isn't just a biblical concept. It's now a concept that, that even science shows us and research shows it pays off in a big way. Absolutely. Proverbs 25, 28 is my favorite verse about self control. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self control. Like the, the city, it represents your family, your business, your nation, your community, all these things. And a wall represents protection and safety. And when a wall is broken down, especially back in the day, enemies could get in. If you lack self-control over an area of your life, that's where the enemy can get in. Yeah. In any area, we have to button it up. And sometimes you need really good accountability. So you need to open up to people that you can love and tr- or so that you, that you love and trust and uh, that can step in and help you with some self-control. So those are the first Five. Did we do five? No, that's no we did four. First four. Yeah. What's number five? You weren't you weren't a homeschooler. No, so. come on. What's number five? I can't give you number five because we're talking about it next week. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Own it or loan it. Own it or loan it. Dark um, dark chocolate. Dark chocolate with cocoa nibs. I think we've done dark chocolate before, but not with cocoa but, nibs. I'm no. gonna loan it because I don't do caffeine. What? No. Chocolate has caffeine in it, you idiot. You can't do caffeine on an empty stomach. Yeah, but you well, how could you say I don't do it with cocoa nibs because I don't do caffeine? That's not true. Cocoa nib is caffeine, right? But yeah, but chocolate has caffeine in it. Yeah, but you got to You just got to go after you eat, and then it's got to be like small doses. So rephrase that. You say I don't. I would loan it because it's got cocoa nibs, and you said because of caffeine. But that's not the true. cocoa nibs add a lot of caffeine. Okay. Okay. Got it. Well, Jason's ridiculous. I would own that all day long. The dark chocolate with cocoa nibs is phenomenal. So the, the, the reason why we have to talk about that is we were in the airport the other day and we passed Rocky Mountain chocolate and they have the best dark chocolate almond bark. If you're ever in Rocky Mountain dark cho- Rocky Mountain chocolate, <laughs> go get the dark get chocolate. It is unbelievable. Hey, we need to wrap this up. Can't yeah. wait to talk to you guys next so- week. Let me give you the, la- the the four that we talked about today. The traits of a kingdom leader. You're above reproach. You're faithful in your marriage. You're temperate. And you're self-controlled. Next week, we'll hit five more. So in the meantime, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Christian Healthcare Ministries. We always want to thank them. But we will see you next week live in Denver, Colorado. Always choose impact over income. But if you can get both, even better. God bless you. <laughs> so true.